2: on News Radio 680 WPTF.
1: And I'm Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner.
2: And
3: I'm Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And we're here to answer your questions for the next hour. We need to define what makes ownership of equities or stocks go up in the first place. Equities, or just another name for stocks, are partial ownership shares of corporations. And corporations are in the business of making a profit. A typical measure of profitability is the P-E ratio. Now, this will tell us how the company is doing and thereby telling us as a market how lots of companies are doing. The Dow first went above 1,000 44 years ago in 1972. In 1981, the Dow was the most undervalued during those last 44 years. And in 1981, that would have been a great time to invest as that year signaled the start of the greatest bull market in history. Fast forward to the end of 1999, the market is the most overvalued in the 44 years, and the subsequent crash occurred. We move forward to the end of 2007, and again the market was higher and overvalued, and because of this being high again, it indicated another great time to sell. By the close of 2008, the market achieved another great buying opportunity, which is just a nice way of saying it was at an all-time low. So, what about the market today? What about the math of predicting where the Dow will be? If we started at 1,000 in 1972 and just compounded that at 7% per year through 2016, the computed Dow would be at 19,600. In December of 2016, that's exactly where the Dow was. Stock market investing requires much more than simple math. But after reviewing this data, perhaps we can conclude that the simplest concepts, combined with common sense, could be our greatest ally when making solid investment decisions. If you want to call during the week to set up a face-to-face appointment, the number is 919-872-7000. That's USA 7000. Also, we have a website at Lewis Financial Management. That's DougAndLinda.com. Doug and Linda Another topic of someone's um, that might be on someone's mind tonight is: Did you get married this year? If so, lots of things changed. Do you need some financial advice as newlyweds? Having met with a couple this year who had just gotten married, one of their questions was, we're very young, we'd like to get started on the right track, we want to align our goals, but more importantly, we want to lay them out and have a real tangible outline or plan of what we are hoping to accomplish. If you did get married this year, you and your new spouse should get on the same page about how to handle money together. Here are some steps that I believe newlyweds should take right after getting married that will help their financial futures. Because most importantly, the fact that you're thinking about your future puts you ahead of others. But if you have no financial destination, how will you know if you're succeeding or failing? How will you come up with any ideas on how to improve your financial well-being? If you don't, take that first step. Meet with a certified financial planner. Lay it down, out what your goals are, what your uh, dreams are of your married life together, and how you're going to handle financial situations. You need to sit down with your spouse and talk about these things. Don't let money be an object. Just talk it out, and most importantly, Listen. Your first month is when you are going to have to make some pretty quick decisions. One of the big ones is changing your withholdings because this is very important and you might ask why. The IRS, even if you get married in the last month of the year, you must file your taxes as though you've been married for the entire year. So you don't want underwithholding to be occurring just because you haven't changed your withholding. So definitely remember to check what you're withholding is through your employer. Also, if you aren't already fully funded for emergencies, you should add some of your wedding money to the fund. There's a Murphy's Law of Marriage. As soon as you say I do, something will wind up breaking or going wrong. If you don't have an emergency fund, you risk having to go into debt to deal with that inevitable problem. So build up an emergency fund until you're prepared to cover at least several months worth of living expenses. And you'll hear us use that phrase, living expenses. What you need to know is what are those recurring monthly expenses? The things, the bills, the expenses that happen every month. Another thing that young newlyweds should have uh, are good financial habits. The only way to know if you're going to work well together is to discuss your joint financial habits. How will you budget as a unit? One of you may like to know whether uh, where every dollar is spent. The other might like to know what the bills are and then focus on managing the spending from there. In most couples, there's a spender and the other is thrifty. In order to get on the same page, you have to figure out how to compromise so that neither one hurts the couple's financial prospects for the future. For example, what's the dollar limit you can spend on an item before you have to call the other spouse to get permission? This isn't to establish a policing in your household, but it is to establish accountability, trust, and good financial habits. Now, what if it's something more unusual? Perhaps you're self-employed and she has no 401k plan at work. You need to discuss how you'll save for retirement and how much you are going to contribute as a percentage of your combined incomes. Much of this discussion happens usually with a financial planner. It's time to start developing habits that will affect the end of your life, just as you're creating habits for your present life. Figure out what it'll take to live your ideal life and then begin saving together out of each of your incomes. It's time to hire a certified financial planner like me, Deborah Lewis of Lewis Financial Management. Did you just get married this year? Do you have any questions that might be on your mind? Begin your financial future together by making an appointment. It's funny, financial planning, it happens at every stage in our life, but most of us often in this profession will hear folks say, I wish I had started younger. I wish someone had told me to get started um, when I was just beginning my career. So, uh, so I would add to that, many married couples will say, I wish we had started financial planning together at the beginning of our marriage. So don't make this you. Don't wish. Go ahead, get started. Give us a call during the week at Lewis Financial Management. Make an appointment to sit down face-to-face and discuss your, your situation. The number at our office during the week is 919-872-7000. That's Lewis Financial Management, 919-872-7000. Welcome to Money Matters, Linda. Thank you. How can we help you tonight?
4: Well, I've been reading about alternatives alternative for... People that are 62 years of age and older that are house-rich and income poor. The reverse right. mortgage.
2: Yes, indeed. Now, how old are you, Linda? Well, it's not for me. I'm 50, so
4: I've got some years
2: left. Okay. And is it for a parent?
4: No. Some people have asked me about it. I have uh, been in mortgage banking business. Uh-huh. And I was thinking, what is that an, uh, an easy alternative?
1: The RAM, as it's called, and the Hiccups, uh, they, they've got different names. One is a RAM reverse annuity mortgage, and the other is the uh, Hiccups, the um Home Equity Qualified Mortgage. But basically, um, they are one of the most wonderful programs that I know out there today.
5: They are exactly what you described. They are for people who are land rich or home rich and cash poor. However, and it is a government program.
1: Uh, the We have set up um, one for one client of mine already. One of our widows. Mm-hmm. Uh, you do have to have certain qualifications. The first one is you must be over 62 years old. The second thing is you simply go ahead and instead of borrowing money from the bank and taking out a mortgage on your home and making payments to the bank, the bank makes payments to you. The bank turns around and makes a payment to you for the rest of your life if that's the program you choose. You never have to make it. You never have to pay it back.
4: Is that monthly income taxable?
1: On the reverse mortgage?
4: Yes, that you're receiving month.
1: Well, let me see. No. No. Okay. Because you're borrowing. Right. So you don't, you know.
4: And that at, at death the home is sold and would the heirs get the remaining balance if there is a remaining balance?
5: Yes, although that's only one of the ways it can work. It can work that way.
1: Also, if you go into a nursing home and vacate the home, then I think you have, I think it's a three-year period after you vacate the home to go ahead and
5: let your family, if they want to, buy the house and pay off the debt, or go ahead and then sell it yourself, or then if not, the bank will go ahead and sell it. The same thing at death, the estate has the right to go ahead and pay
1: off what's owed and keep the house.
4: So it is a good alternative for, for some people.
5: I think it's a wonderful program I
4: recommend only, it. every yeah. time
5: I see a every time I see senior citizens who have any financial stress, I think they should definitely consider the reverse annuity mortgage you know Lynn, I think you've got some brochures at the office so if uh, Linda wants to call the office, you might send her one of those brochures.
1: Yeah
2: Linda, you want to just call the office this week I uh, to... call uh, I guess Tuesday or thereafter okay and our number in Raleigh is Eight seven two seven
3: thousand. Okay, thank you. Thank you for for calling, Linda. Now, another thing that might be on your mind is estate planning. What about wills versus trusts? Which are better? There's a lot of discussion in the estate planning world about whether wills or trusts are better for those making plans for their future. There are pros and cons to wills and trusts and how each can be a smart move in different situations. You need to know about wills and trusts, And knowing will help you make your decision about which is better for your particular needs. In general, what does a will do? That's usually where most people begin. Well, it's a document that just sits there, but it doesn't really take effect until the time of your death. Then at that point, that's when the will kicks in and you follow the instructions that are given in it. A trust, on the other hand, is something you can set up during your lifetime. It has the same instructions that you would find in a will to handle what happens to your assets after your death, but it can also make provisions for what happens to your assets during your lifetime. A will is going to name a trustee to handle of financial matters upon your death. A trust is going to name that person should you be not dead, but incapacitated. So a will only works or comes into effect after your death. A trust allows other, other uh, functions to occur before you are dead, but while you might need someone to act on your behalf. It's that sense of trust that you are establishing with the person that you need to take over if you're unable to do so. This is what we call protection during incapacitation. Now, the big advantage of having a trust over a will is having a trust generally prevents you from having to go to probate court to have your matters dealt with after your death. A trust doesn't have to be a public document, so it provides privacy. A trustee has the power after your death to take actions as specified in the document, so it doesn't generally need to have any court oversight to follow your instructions. On the other hand, a will needs to be adjudicated before a court judge, and your will becomes a public document. In those situations, it's something that a lot of people are less comfortable with. They don't want their surviving spouse to be preyed upon because everybody in the public would be able to know what that spouse left to the other spouse or to children. So privacy is a huge factor. For many people, when they're interested in maintaining their privacy, That's really where they'll say, well, this might be exactly the document that I need that does a little bit more than a will. Now, what about being challenged in a court? Is there any reason to go with a will versus a trust? Really, a will is going to end up in a legal environment that's public, so it leaves itself more open to being challenged, whereas a trust doesn't. Now, because the trust does exist, there will be assets owned in the name of the trust. If you have a trust and it's not funded or doesn't own any assets, then it's sort of A toothless watchdog. It functions. It has no, it's not functioning properly. But let's say you had a trust and you have a home that you want to put in the name of that trust. When you do a deed transfer out of your own name into the name of your trust, you are in a way allowing it to be known that you have a trust document because on the property records, it would be owned in the name of your trust. But many people feel that the trust will go further than the will will, and it also provides functions that cover incapacitation and not just functions after death. So if this is your question, what estate documents do you need? Are you in need of an estate document review? We at Lewis Financial Management definitely uh, cover this area because it's, it's in all of our lives. It's something that we all want to know. We want to know do we have all the right estate documents in place to take care of ourselves when we cannot and those who we leave behind? If you'd like further information, call us at 919-872-7000 or go to our website, dougandlinda.com. That's dougandlinda.com. Now, Doug, you know, we often talk about how that um most of the folks who have listened to us and have come to us through the years, it all begins with a question.
1: Yeah, you know, I consider so often the difference, and I'm asked this in the office so often, what's the difference between what you guys at Lewis Financial do and what do the guys do over at Merrill Lynch or Edward Jones or any of the brokerage firms and so forth? And the short answer is We are financial planners. That's right. We do financial planning, and financial planning focuses on a lot of different types of questions. For example, Deborah, if I were to ask you what kind of questions are there in the world of investments, what might you come up with?
3: How should my 401k be positioned based on my available investment choices? Or how do I roll over my 401k or my 403b or any other retirement plan, and where should I put it? How should my overall portfolio be balanced? Stocks, bonds, REITs, mutual funds? What investment vehicles should I currently be invested in based on my current age, risk tolerance, retirement goals, etc.? How do I prepare for college funding? How do I prepare for financial independence? Should I pick, up, pick the annuity payout option from my pension at retirement or the lump sum option? What about on the cash flow side?
1: Well, cash flow questions are different from investment questions, Linda. For example, how should I invest any surplus money from my paycheck monthly? Or how do I create a budget? Well, what's the difference between my discretionary and my non-discretionary and my regular monthly expenses?
2: And sometimes folks have questions about insurance. Oh,
1: insurance questions are big time. They pop up all over the place. It might be, how do I know if my insurance coverage is adequate? Or, what type of insurance should I have? Or, how much will my wife need to pay her monthly expenses if I die? Or maybe, what's the difference between term insurance, whole life insurance, universal insurance, second-to-die insurance? Or maybe, do I need long-term care insurance? Or maybe, should I have disability insurance?
2: Another question that comes up has to do with taxes. People want to know, is there any way that I can avoid or reduce the alternative minimum tax? Can I use a charitable trust to sell real estate or investments tax-free? Are there any investment vehicles that can reduce my tax burden? Should my business be an S-Corp, C-Corp, LLC, or a sole proprietorship? Am I paying enough taxes or too much in quarterly taxes? And a lot of other folks have questions about estate. That's right, Linda. Do I need a revocable living trust and a credit shelter trust? How can I reduce my estate tax liability? And how can I avoid probate costs? So, yeah, as a
1: financial planner, we answer every question not just investment questions. And if you're out there listening, we just quickly ran through a uh, maybe about 25 possible questions. If one of these questions is in your head tonight, as Deborah said, call us. We're here to answer any financial question about your financial world.
3: This is Deborah Lewis. Call 919-872-7000 to set an appointment with me regarding your financial situation. Call me at 919-872-7000. Well, Doug, Deborah... There's a lot of noise out there
2: in financial planning and people have questions about their situation, but how do you filter out the noise?
1: That is a very important question, Linda. It really is how to filter out all the noise because information overload can trip up good decision-making. To protect your retirement security, you have to go ahead and stay focused. Besides all the usual financial decisions that need to be made... You know, should you buy, should you sell, should you save? What about stocks? What about bonds? What about annuities? Besides all these things, every event, whether it be a real event or predicted event, seems to turn up the volume and the worry. And for people who are close to retirement, all this chatter is particularly scary as they try to protect every dollar they put away. Actually, for some people, it's paralyzing. They can't make a move because it might be a misstep. And others seem to shift with the wind, or at least with the latest soundbite. The more information they receive, the more they wonder how each bit of news is going to affect their portfolio. And I understand it. I really do. There is that noise, but there's a way to take the noise down a notch. Perhaps even the fear.
3: You know, you need to plan with a purpose. We always say at Lewis Financial Management, eat your eggs, don't kill your chickens. If you're trying to get to retirement... Or if you're already there and you don't want to fail, you have to set up your portfolio in a way that makes sense for you. Not your friends, not your coworkers, not the guy at the golf club, not the woman who just called the Susie Orman show, and you loved her response. Just you. You got to uh, look at your own situation. So, what we're suggesting is that there that you impl- you um, put in place a filter, a way to take into account your own retirement horizon, your needs, and your family's needs, your morals, your ethics. And of course, our answer is hire a certified financial planner. You need someone like Doug Lewis or Deborah Lewis to help you filter out all this noise that's around us.
1: Yeah. And that is what we do. Our job. We we recognize the noise. We hear the noise. We see the noise. It's twice as loud as it was when we began this radio show in 1990. Twice as loud. Uh, and so we help you filter through all the noise. So, as Deborah said, the first thing you can do is to plan with a purpose, and at Lewis Financial, our purpose is always that you live off your eggs, don't kill your chickens. That's what we talk about. Now, the second thing you can do is focus. Focus on what you can control. Once you've moved from the accumulation phase to the preservation or the distribution phase of life, your mindset should now shift from the return on your money to the return of your money. It's like owning real estate and having a renter who pays you on time every month. The value of your property may go up and down, but you're not going to sell it if you don't have to. You're sticking with that consistent rent check. For most folks, what the value of an individual stock is on any given day isn't that important. It's consistency that counts. With investing, your portfolio should be designed to generate income in your retirement.
3: You know, Doug, another thing is to look at the long term. There will always be events that pop up to rattle investors and affect the market, good or bad. Instead of investing in reactions to these events, stick to what feels right. Getting that comfort level is what people
2: have said they have gotten at Lewis Financial Management. Right, Deborah? That's right. right.
1: We We promise every client when they come to see us, Our job will be to give you the comfort level, to take the stress off you. Our job is to remove the stress from you. And so when you hire us, you're hiring us to help you accomplish your goals. It's about an investment philosophy and a mutual understanding of what you're trying to accomplish. You need to work with a fiduciary, which is who we are. We are fiduciaries. So call us during the week to talk about your situation, to make a face-to-face appointment this week coming, those numbers to call for the office appointment are 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000, and we can help you filter out the noise.
3: Rodney, this is Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you tonight? Good evening. Hi. Thank you.
1: Um,
6: your, first of all, your comments about um, Will, Will versus Trust, I... Uh, that's something I'm very interested in. I hope you will elaborate on it. Sure. Or, but the question I have is uh, about taxes. <clears throat> I I retired this year, <clears throat> and um, so and my wife can continues to work for now, and so our income is going to tra- change drastically. And I do, don't know how to calculate what our tax burden might be. You know, and I don't want to over or under. Withhold, and I don't know if we need to adjust the withholdings on my wife's income. I don't know how to start. or don't know where to cal- how to calculate.
3: Um, and you know what we can do is I can definitely give you a call, and we can talk specifics. But the general answer is yes. You want, to with- you want to withhold less because the income is less. Now, Rodney, in your case, when you say retired, are you going to be taking any income from retirement plans, or is there a pension beginning, or anything mm-hmm. that we need to consider as far as income that will be coming in?
6: Yeah, so um, my I will be taking my pension, and I'm not going to use my, um, you know, my savings that I'm not. I don't need to use that right now. Okay, um, good. The only thing we'll be using is at this point is my pension, which which is considerably less than my income. Okay. Um,
3: will you uh, be able to begin Social Security also?
6: Not gonna do that yet either i I'm, I'm okay one, and so I'm going to hold off on that because we don't we're okay without it okay we're okay without social security, we're okay without using good any of the, my savings um but my income will drastically decrease.
3: As far as the family income goes, the total amount will now yeah, be less. total family income. Okay.
6: Yeah. I don't know how to calculate.
3: All right, no problem at all. I do I do this a lot with clients in in the office. Here's what we'll do is um, I'll give you a call tomorrow. We'll pick a time to meet together. We'll do some tax analysis projections so I can show you with a piece of paper saying, "Okay, if the earned income from your wife's side of the, the of, of her her earned earned income coming in, your pension income coming in, here's the projection of what your taxes will be. Therefore, this is what we need to, this is how we need to reduce withholding. Yeah. Yeah, that's no problem. Um, The answer in general is yes, you need to reduce, but it needs to be based on, I mean, even if you were to make a mistake, you're over withholding, you're going to get the taxes, you're going to get the amount back. That's as easy as being able to produce a projection for the two of you. Well,
6: what I was, thinking is just adding another, um, <clears throat> like, uh, the state of North Carolina is zero. Um, is flat now, I guess. And, and so in her federal withholding is one. So I was thinking maybe putting two on her federal and, and maybe one on the state or something like that.
3: Sure. I, I mean, you can start there and just, answer, and just answer the question, yes. If you were to uh, just move it to two, then you'll have a general knowledge of. What might help better is to know, or what might be more helpful is to know, well, what the projected taxes would be. Yeah. Um, And that's definitely something I can help you with. Call me during the week so we can set up a time to get together face to face. My number at the office is 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000.
6: Another fact is that our um, deductions are we don't have nearly as many. We've about run out of deductions. Our house is about paid off. So yeah, we don't really have. We just have a standard deduction. We may, we may we've always itemized, but it may get to the point where we have to just take a standard deduction, right? Something like that. So right. That, that I don't know if that is going to sort of cancel the.
3: It does, and I tell you, the easiest way for me to come up with a fairly accurate number is to be able to do a tax projection for you. Um, mm-hmm. Let's let's touch wills and trust. Your question there in regard to wills and trust. Let's see here. What do you currently have? What or what was your question to begin with? And then we'll go in and we'll answer it from there.
6: Well, I I didn't have a specific question because if I had a question, it would be which is better.
3: Okay. You know, well, in you know, general terms, let <laughs> me ask you this: where it generally falls down is is in this regard. If a person has, um, well, how much do you have outside retirement plans, assets, out investments outside retirement plans?
6: You mean outside of pension?
3: Yeah, exactly. If, if Or pension or 401K, 403B, anything.
6: Yeah, we have 403Bs.
3: Okay. So those are retirement assets, and retirement assets are going to pass through a beneficiary designation form. Assets uh-huh. that are not passing through a beneficiary designation form, they'd be investments not held in retirement plans. Okay. Those, if you have a significant amount, you might want to, own, and you might need a revocable living trust. Again, what really determines which is best for the two of you is going to be a list of what you own and where it's owned. And I can walk you through, for example, if you have a brokerage account that's outside a retirement plan, that's what's a non-retirement asset. That can be owned in a trust. A retirement account, and that will pass by the instructions you leave in your revocable living trust or your living trust or or a trust. If you are... um, only own retirement plans and very little outside retirement plans. It may need, it may mean that you don't need one, but you might want one for privacy or you might want one for incapacitation. You had a stroke at 75, but you're not dead and you live another 10, 15 years. This way she can act on your behalf and never have to use, um, you know, a, a durable power of attorney or a power of attorney of any kind. Here's what I think we should do, Rodney. You got a couple good questions that I'd like to answer specifically in your situation. I've got your number. I'll give you a call tomorrow, and we'll pick this up so that I can answer these questions and give you the easiest way to itemize exactly what best fits for you. It really deter- It's really determined by what you own. Okay. Yeah. Um, the will only takes place after your death. The trust gives you some some ways to have other people act on your behalf while you're alive, but just incapacitated.
6: Yeah. Is there a difference between a will and a trust as far as where assets are held? Like you were saying.
3: Yes, because because it's the way things are going to pass by law. So let me, when we're off air, get a real handle on what you own where, and we'll just, we'll just have a conversation and I'll probably be able to point you in the right direction.
6: Okay. Yeah. Yeah, just, just give me a call. And- I
3: sure will. Rodney, thank you for listening tonight, and we'll talk tomorrow, and I'll answer both those questions specifically. Oh, right, All right. Very good. Thank you. If something has popped in your head tonight, give me a call during the week. My number is 919 That's 919 Well, Doug, Deborah, what what is new in the world of cash flow planning?
1: Well... Cash flow planning is very important and I don't think many people focus on it. I I'm going to say that you're going to need to save as much as 10 to 15% of your annual income for your retirement. And you need to take a fresh look at how you can utilize your retirement plan's features to help you save and resolve to make some changes in the cash flow in the coming year. You know, You might have stopped making retirement contributions to your retirement plan last year. There are many reasons why you might have stopped contributing. Maybe it was a tight household financial situation due to the birth of a child. Could have been buying a home or paying for college. But determining how much you can put into savings can now make the difference between retiring when you would like to and having to continue working longer in the future. Just for an example, if you contribute $300 a month and earn 8% average over 30 years, your savings would grow to more than $425,000. If you don't think you can afford to save that much, keep in mind that contributions to your retirement plan are deducted on a pre-tax basis. So you might only see a $225 reduction in your paycheck, if you happen to be in the 25% tax bracket. In addition, earnings on your investments accumulate on a tax-deferred basis until withdrawn which could increase your retirement savings an additional 45% compared to a taxable investment account.
3: Now, another thought is, if your employer offers a matching contribution, you shouldn't give that up. You should contribute at least enough to get the maximum matching dollars. Otherwise, you may be leaving free money on the table, and that's no good. So keep those thoughts in mind as far as looking at retirement plans offered through your employer. And, um, you know...
1: There's the other side of cash flow planning. In a short version, what we just discussed is: well, if I don't see it, I can't spend it. Oh, good point. Yeah, that's what that's, that's... That, that. That kind of cash flow planning is what we've just covered, and it works. There's no doubt about it. Just tell your uh, payroll department mm-hmm. take more off my paycheck, mm-hmm. and I'm automatically uh, saving part of my cash flow. Towards my future. Right. We do it much better than that alone at Lewis Financial Management. We actually go through a detailed list of your expenses and we find out after your income comes in and after your expenses go out, what is there left at the end of each month? In the early days when I would tell people, well, we, we see that at the end of each month, you, it looks like you've got about $2,000 left over. And they would always laugh and say, just doesn't seem to be that way, Doug. looks like there's too much month and not enough money.
3: Right, right.
1: And I've been planning for years to try and do this. To At the end of every month, I'm going to invest what I've got left over. So what we put in place years ago was a program that we called Pay Yourself First. We reversed that process. We put on paper, what are your incomes, what are your expenses, what's left over, and then that surplus, we have you invest automatically, not in a retirement plan, in non-retirement investments, and then if you need to adjust that for expenses that you weren't thinking, you just slow that down. And we have seen over the last 30 years that clients have accumulated much more I don't think we have a single client today who is not financially independent.
2: Doug Deborah, I, I really like uh, the principles that you both were sharing about because uh, contributing to a retirement plan is very important, and people have uh, various matches that their employee their employers are offering them when they start. Contributing to their retirement plan. They do. But we often find that in most portfolios, people are lopsided. In their asset allocation,
3: aren't you bring they? up a good point because that lopsidedness is what Doug was speaking to. That there needs to be a balance. Exactly. Yes, you know we need to we need to uh, put money aside in our retirement account, and it definitely has to be outside the retirement account. Give us a call at nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand. We look forward to meeting with you. What is new in the world of insurance planning?
1: You know, I guess the newest thing I can think of is this term plate liquors. You know, we keep hearing more and more about plate liquor seminars and QLACs. And those terms, they're cute terms, but I think it's, uh, it's very, very serious. Because in the July North Carolina Department of the Secretary of State newsletter, on page 13, it states, be wary of free lunch seminars. Elsewhere, I've heard them called plate liquor seminars. The ultimate goal of free meal investment seminars is typically to lure new clients and to sell investment products not to educate the public, even though that's what they say in their advertisements. And this newsletter from the North Carolina Department of the Secretary of State also encourages people to call to see if the person offering you an investment opportunity is licensed to sell investments in North Carolina and if the investment opportunity is registered. Now, registration doesn't guarantee against fraud, but not being registered is a big warning flag. The North Carolina Securities hotline that they tell you to call is 1-800-688-4507. You can then call and see if the person you're dealing with is properly registered. So these plate liquor seminars are to be very, very much, I would say, avoided. Uh, don't subject yourself to that kind of, a, of, um, of pressure. The other term, culax. These QLACs are very often being promoted at these plate liquor seminars. And these QLACs are, well, it's, it's, it's an acronym that stands for Qualified Longevity Annuity Contracts. So, but QLACs are being presented as investments. They're not investments. In a nutshell, they're fixed annuities. That's what they are. They're fixed annuities that are purchased in a retirement plan. And they're being promoted as investments, but they're not investments. They're insurance contracts. And everybody should know by now, insurance contracts are designed to make money for the insurance company. They're not designed to make money for you, that's for sure. And this new term, QLACs, as if it's some sort of magical investment opportunity to beat the IRS from having to pay taxes, forget about it. (laughs) Just just forget about it. You don't wanna subject yourself to QLAX. You don't wanna believe there's some wonderful way that you can avoid paying taxes and Well
2: part of the problem is that you lose all liquidity, right? You lose control. You
1: lose all your control. When
2: you purchase this type of vehicle, insurance contract. It's you you lose control of your money.
1: I will also say the regulators have sent out a number of alerts about them and they are on the uh, they're on the radar. They're definitely on the radar because they're being promoted uh, in one way they, there's a lot of abuse in this area. So I would say to answer your question what's new in the world of financial planning, Linda, plate liquor seminars, QLACs promoted as investments.
2: You're listening to Money Matters. With the Lewises on News Radio 680
3: WPTF. Call me, Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner at Lewis Financial Management. 919 872 7000. 919 872 7000. Doug, what is the uh,
2: definition of financial planning?
5: Well, this has been a very contentious issue, Linda, on defining for the public first. Defining legally for state legislatures because there are bills before a number of legislatures constantly about how to protect the public from abuse and fraud and so forth and so on. It always boils down to two issues. Number one, the holding out provision. Who has the right to hold himself out as a financial planner? And number two, what is the definition of a financial planner and financial planning? So the IAFP, that's the International Association for Financial Planning, did finally decide on a definition. And it goes like this. Financial planning is the process of providing advice and assistance to a client for the purpose of achieving the client's financial goals.
2: I think that's a wonderful definition. It
5: focuses on advice, advice and assistance.
2: If you give advice, aren't you supposed to be licensed to give
5: advice? Not licensed. You must register as a registered investment advisor with the Securities and Exchange Commission Anyone who receives any fees for advice must register, and if he does not give you a copy of what's called the ADV form, that's the advisory form, which discloses his whole history, his past, his fee schedule, education, education everything. If he does not give you one of those, then he is in violation of the law. Furthermore, if he is receiving fees and has not filed, he's in violation of the law. But in any case, that's the definition they agreed on. Financial planning is the process of providing advice and assistance to a client for the purpose of achieving the client's financial goals. And there was some explanation that went along with it, Linda. The explanation had to do with the process. What is the financial planning process? And the process, they agreed, includes six basic steps. Step one was data gathering. And number two, goal setting, setting goals. Number three, identification of financial problems. Number four, preparation of written alternatives and recommendations. That's a written plan. Number five, implementation of the agreed upon recommendations and implementation schedule and action plan. Right. And number six, revision and review of the plan. That's the process.
3: If you have a question and would like to ask it either after hours or have me call you back after the show, feel free to call the office 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000. You know,
2: um when
3: some people call in at
2: the office and they want to come in and have an appointment with you, we've always suggested to them to sit down with their spouse or sit down with a legal pad and just write down what are some of the concerns what are some of the questions that you have about your own situation and discuss with your spouse? What are our goals? What are our objectives and what are our needs now at this time?
5: Right. That's the goal part. And the data gathering, you know, when anyone comes in our office, you always ask them to send the five keys, right? One right? right. of those five
2: keys. Well, the five keys would include a person's federal and state tax returns. Right. That's the first thing. Secondly, either a financial statement or a list of their assets and their liabilities, and that's all inclusive. That would include any income from rental, et cetera, et cetera. And then thirdly, projected income, and also what their withholdings or their uh, quarterly estimates would be for their taxes. That's number four. And then the last thing, number five, would be a list of their living expenses.
5: That's the most important, estimated yes. living expenses. Right. Right. They also went ahead and said that comprehensive financial planning will include the basic areas of financial planning along with any other concerns or areas of concern to the client. Now, the basic areas are a financial statement analysis, investment planning, income tax planning, risk management, retirement planning, and estate planning, and other areas of concern might be cash management or educational funding, planning for college education, charitable planning, business planning. Premortem planning, you know, we've got a couple of clients who who are terminally ill. Planning for death, planning after death, divorce planning, each of these are other areas. And the financial planning process can be applied, they decided, to meet the client's needs on any of the following. It could be the full range of client's goals on a comprehensive basis. It could be a subset of the client's goals on a more limited basis. Or it could be a single-client goal on a specialized basis. So that, that was the conclusion of the final definition of the process and the definition of planning.
2: You know, Doug, when a person thinks about financial planning, it doesn't matter if they're only making 24000 or they're making 250000 or a million.
5: We've had them all. Though. The
2: principles are still the same, and In I have instance. spoken to hundreds of people, and... You know, each one of them has their own little scenario, but each one's need, you know, needs to be addressed. And there are some very basic financial planning principles that are used in each situation.
5: You're right, Linda. My office number is eight seven two seven thousand. If I can help you any more, give us a call during the week.
1: Hi, Jeff, Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you this evening?
7: Hey, quick question. So um, I have a challenge with getting... Personal life insurance outside of what my employer gives me—if I get hit by a bus one and a half times my salary—they pay for it because I'm a uh, insulin-dependent diabetic. Okay. My my question for you is in broad terms: How do you advise clients that maybe are uh, in situations like my own that um, are trying to, you know, outside of just having a bigger investment portfolio, cover for the lack of being able to get? Tell me a
1: little bit about yourself, because there is no one answer for any one person. I mean, for every person. Each one is different. Tell me a little bit about yourself. How old are you, Jeff? Fifty-one. Fifty-one? Mm-hmm. And are you married or single? Married, two kids. Married, two kids. Okay. Uh, You're employed? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, of course you are. You told me you were. Okay. Married, got two kids, you're employed. What does your present investment portfolio compose of?
7: Um, Well, I don't. I'm working right now on growing the after-tax portfolio because I've been an avid listener of yours. So I've been too much on the pre-tax, but I got about a half million pre-tax, and then I have probably only about thirty-five to forty thousand post-tax investment. Investment.
1: All right. So altogether, we've got uh, about five hundred thirty-five thousand. And if you're one of our listeners, I presume you're aggressively putting what we call a pay yourself first investment plan in place.
7: Absolutely, absolutely put about fifteen percent away. I'm trying to put fifteen percent away in retirement.
1: All right, and that's going into mutual funds after tax, right? Correct. Okay, good. Now, do you have any idea what your living expenses are right now uh, for your family? On a, mo- on a monthly
7: basis, they're approximately thirty four
1: hundred. All right. So if we've got thirty four hundred a month, hang on, let me calculate something real quick, times twelve. Uh, that's about forty thousand a year on your recurring monthly expenses. How about your non-monthly expenses, like vacation gifts and so on?
7: Uh, that's probably about another seven hundred a month.
1: All right, so another we'll, we'll call it another nine thousand. All right, plus nine thousand. All right, so now we've got annual expenses of let's say a little bit under fifty thousand. All right, now we have to say if God forbid something happens to you, we're trying to protect. Oh, I didn't ask you how old the kids are. Sixteen and six. Sixteen and six. So we got to protect your wife and at least the six-year-old. Mm-hmm. So right now, the four of y'all are spending about 50000 a year. Let's say that you need about 80, maybe yeah, 80% of that. She would need about 80% of that if, God forbid, you went to be with the Lord, okay? Yes. All right, times 0.8. That brings you up to about... Forty thousand a year. All right. So if she could have forty thousand a year income, you would not have to have any insurance, correct?
7: Um, I hadn't done the math like that, but being you're the professional, I'll well, do it. yeah. Do you have a pen, by the way? Yes.
1: Jeff, write down my phone number, my office number: nine one nine. Eight seven two seven thousand. <laughs> you got it. Okay, and then uh, we need to schedule an appointment to get together and meet face to face, and I'll take you through a much more detailed personal financial planning consultation just on you. But for broad strokes, let's assume that we need that she would need forty thousand a year. All right, then we would say, if indeed there was, let's say seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars of investments. And if, indeed, we took out 4 to 5% per year to support her and leave the rest to grow, then she would be, or you would be, self-insured. So I'm, I'm just...
7: just I'm, so Doug, but what about the fact that, you know, you have, I know now you have these small policies, let's say 10000 15000 where it's no insurance, medical uh, re- review required. Is there anything legally preventing somebody from, say, getting
1: five of those policies? No, no, no. I haven't even gone to what you should do. I'm just using the numbers first. Okay. Okay. The numbers are where we start. We always start with what would it take for me to be totally comfortable that I am self-insured, that I don't need to be paying an insurance company. We have to remember insurance companies are designed to make money. And, and they and they use their, their their actuarial tables so that you lose money and they make money. That's called risk transfer, and that's what an insurance company. That's how they that's how they do it. So at some point, you know, think think crazy. Warren Buffett's not going to have a life insurance policy on himself. You see what I mean? Sure. Okay, so at some point you would reach a point, and many of my clients, I mean I'm doing this all the time, I go through every client to see at what point you can be financially independent. We want to bump up the expenses and take care of all the other things, and maybe it's not 750000 maybe we end up with 800000 maybe we end up with a million, but it, we have a target where we have to get to. Then we come to what do we do between now and then, because you're not there now, you only have 535000 Right. Yep, that's okay. right. So now we want to get the cheapest type of insurance, which is term insurance, of course, and whether we go ahead and buy some uh, short ones or some little ones or whatever, we're, we're just putting on a temporary Band-Aid to take us until the time that we can drop all insurance. And I understand when you have a medical condition, you have to go ahead and approach it differently. But you're certainly not the only person amongst our clients (laughs) that have uh, medical conditions. Uh, But what I'm saying is we have to first see where are we going. What is the need? What is the need? What is the dollar need that gets you to the point that you don't have to worry that you're totally covered and she's totally covered if something right. happens to
2: you. Because you have a lifestyle that you and your wife and your family are living, right? hmm And Very one day, day one day, you know, you're, you're teaching your kids fix your bed, take out the trash, do your homework, be a scholar. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> you might even get a scholarship for your 16-year-old. I don't know. But what what we try to do is hope for the
3: best and plan for the worst. If you don't have a certified financial planner to work with, if you haven't met with a certified financial planner, call me, Deborah Lewis at Lewis Financial Management, 919-872-7000. It might be the most important call that you make this year, 919-872-7000. If the Lord takes you in 10 years,
2: who knows what's going to happen 10 years? Your wife might inherit some money from a Favorite aunt or something You know we don't know What's going to happen In the future And there
1: are other things 11 years from now He qualifies for social security
2: Exactly Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, So we've got a lot of things But financial planning Starts as Linda said Hoping for the best Planning for the worst And having it always Supported by numbers And so yeah If whatever we needed If we needed to go ahead And find a half million dollar uh, Ten year term policy Then that's what we'd go out And shop it out in the market And find the cheapest one out there Well,
7: Doug, you can't get them from for
1: diabetics, though. You can't do it. Uh, Yes, you can. Uh, Yes, you can. There are insurance companies that will. Uh, I and but my point is that we have to go ahead and work with the numbers. And like you say, there's always, uh, there's all, there are always solutions. I've never found a uh, a problem. Where I don't have, I can't find the solutions, and it sounds like you're a very diligent type of of listener, where you're eager to go ahead and put things into place. Uh, I would, I would love to get together with you and just go through all of the pieces and see, you know, how we can go ahead and bring you into the real financial planning fold.
7: I hear you. All right. Thank you, my friend.
1: Well, you're sure welcome, Jeff. You have a wonderful evening. Don't forget to call my office, schedule an appointment. And uh, I hear the music coming, so I know I'm supposed to say that your money matters because your financial future is at stake.
0: You've been listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, you can call Doug, Linda, or Deborah in Raleigh at 919 872 7000. That's 919 872 7000. Or go to DougAndLinda.com and listen again next Sunday at 6 p.m. for more Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF.